must be my turn. I was hoping she'd read longer. Just wonderful privilege to be uh, speaking at Tyndale Seminary and College, University College, one of the bastions of faith in Canada, has been through the years. It's an honor to be here. And when I uh, saw my friend Dr. Bill McRae sit here, I said, why am I speaking today? It's wonderful to see you folks. Not that I'm speaking, but to see you. I haven't seen them in a number of years. In fact, I'm not sure about you, but most of us tend to have giants in our lives. The giants actually keep us from dreaming or living to dream. I think extreme discipleship really is about doing life in Jesus' name. The text, actually, that was read for us says that in the name of Jesus, but that really means his character. Putting on the character of Jesus, which Paul talked about in the earlier part of that chapter, that's actually quite interesting and not that difficult, except when there are giants we're dealing with. So at the heart of ancient Palestine, there is a region known as Shephelah, a series of ridges and valleys connecting the Judean mountains to the east with the wide, flat expanse of the Mediterranean plain. It is an area of breathtaking beauty, but it's also an area where many strategic battles have been fought for the control of the region. It was in this region, in this valley, that uh, a giant wearing a bronze helmet, full body armor, carried a javelin, a spear, and a sword. And of course, you know the story. The majority of those who were watching were cowering. If they were on, the, on God's side of the army, they lacked the faith to step up except for the lad, the shepherd boy who sought to persuade King Saul, who was also somewhat of a giant comparatively, he, he sought to persuade King Saul that, uh, that he should take on this ferocious giant and opponent in the name of God. Saul had no other options and eventually relented, as you know. The shepherd boy ran down the hill, but not before he persuaded Saul that he could do it, indicating that he had had a confrontation with a bear and a giant. Excuse me, a bear and a lion, now the giant. Sometimes bears and lions are small compared to a giant. Not sure about the giants 
that might make it difficult for us, for you, I know what they were and are for me, I'm not so sure what they are for you, the giants that keep you from wanting to do life in Jesus' name and let it flow, as 2 Corinthians says. It emanates. The fragrance of Jesus emanates from us when we do life in Jesus' name, eventually we're transfigured. Now, one of the things I always told my dear wife and my kids, whatever you do, don't let me be a cranky old man. <laughs> now, at that time, I was young, and I actually had hair, and they were dark. In <laughs> fact, there were enough of them, I had to wear them in a brush cut so that you know, I could manage them. Now, we don't know what we call the cuts. Ultimately, the more time we have with Jesus and doing life in his name, the more that glory should emanate from us. I think to the extent that it doesn't, there are some giants. Now, David, young David, the shepherd boy, tackled his giant. And the story basically has David doing a very unusual feat. Ancient armies had three kinds of warriors. The first, cavalry, they were armed, men on horseback or in chariots. The second, infantry, foot soldiers with armor carrying swords and shields and spears and every kind of stabbing equipment. The third were projectile warriors or what today we might call artillery archers and more importantly there were some slingers. Slingers had a leather pouch attached to two sides of a long strand of rope, and uh, without a real background, you may not be able to imagine slings, but I used to use them before we could afford to buy guns. A slinger could do damage to an opponent up to 200 yards away. Whatever else, David didn't want all of the shield and the sword and the weight because it just wasn't David. It just wasn't David. He wasn't up for carrying that load. He was up for doing what he had practiced. He was up for doing what he had learned to do as a shepherd boy. And so he went down, but he went in the name of the Lord God. And the giant was dealt with decisively. So when I was asked to speak in chapel, it was suggested that I share a little about life journey and uh, from the word of God and link the two. So my journey actually begins in Germany, not because I was born there, but because my parents were. And they escaped Germany between the two wars, but they weren't married, they weren't together. My father 
left Germany between the two wars because he would have been called up to fight on one side in the army and his brother would have been on the other given the changing borders at the time. So my parents thought, uh, my, my grandparents thought they should leave the country to keep this from happening. When that they sought to escape, they sold all of their property, actually had a reasonable estate, and uh, banked the money, set it up to be sent to Canada to follow them here, but they did sew enough into the shoe soles of their hired hand for passage, just in case. Sure enough, they were searched. And they managed to leave Germany, to leave Europe, with money sewn into the shoe soles of the hired hand, otherwise they would never have made it out. Because you see, my father was army age. His oldest brother was already in the army on the other side. Now, on the other side is my mother. My mother grew up in another part of Europe. Her dad actually... Her dad was someone who lost his way in life and became an alcoholic. Family was divided. He left. My mother grew up in her earliest years with her mother, but her mother and her youngest sister died of tuberculosis, and my mother had contacted it as well, but she survived it. However, she was moved through Germany, foster home to foster home, and uh, some of that marked her so that it impacted her life. She was a wonderful mother, but she was a very anxious individual, and uh, it did influence us to a certain degree. My parents met in Canada. They decided to have a family, and there were seven of us, and I was in the middle. My brothers were all beyond six feet tall, and, uh, and I was the kid in the middle. I say I was squeezed from both ends. Three sisters, three brothers. I'm in the middle. They're big. I'm small. So for my life, I kind of had to learn to deal with giants. <laughs> but you see, I grew up in rural Saskatchewan, about as far removed from civilization as one can ever grow up. Seriously, we, when we went to school, if we could manage through the snowstorm, it was a ho- with a horse and a sled, and it was almost a day's voyage there and a day's voyage back, and then we'd sometimes tip over in the banks, and uh, we enjoyed the day because we missed school. <laughs> in my ninth grade, I had a teacher who humiliated me so seriously that I couldn't face going back to school, so I ended school and actually went out and started making a living. Two years later, I went back, did two years in one by correspondence, caught up and graduated, and God called me clearly into Bible college and then university. But through my years, I have been the shyest individual alive. I could not look in a mirror without blushing. Now, in Bible college, I started, when I went, when I had to get in front of my class, in front of my class to communicate, I almost fainted, literally. The prof of communications 
told me. Then, at the end of our year, I was chosen to speak for our conference guests. There were about 2,000. I was sure they'd carry me off in a stretcher. But you see, because they were giants, I determined that by God's grace and in Jesus' name, I was going to overcome those giants. But I didn't actually become a believer until I was 17. And when I made my commitment, I had the sense of God's call on my life. And it was this text that was read for us where it was so clear that I should do my life in Jesus' name. It just jumped out at me. It became my life verse. And I patterned my life after the third chapter of Colossians. Particularly that summative verse that says, let me do the few verses, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So there were two issues, inward peace, the umpire of peace inside of me, was I at peace? I had to deal with inner peace, which was much more challenging than dealing with words that I uttered in Jesus' name and with acts that I did in Jesus' name. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, as I felt called, I didn't become a believer because I just didn't think I would ever be able to do the call of God on my life, and I felt it before I became a believer. I knew he wanted me to do something, and I didn't want to do that stuff, because I wanted to do stuff for myself. Three years of Bible college... In my second year of Bible college, I started a student pastorate, but I was too scared to do it alone. So I talked two friends into joining me, and we did student pastoring. Then I did university. I went to university. In those days, there was no transfer. Three years of Bible college, not a single course counting toward university. Did my years of university and graduated from university. Actually, my prof there that actually took an interest in me decided that I should go to the University of Toronto for a PhD program because he thought I had some philosophy potential. Now, those of you who know that I now teach leadership wonder about the connect between philosophy and teaching leadership. There wasn't a big one. But from the day that God called me, it became clear I should do church work. So five years as a student pastor. And then I was called to Briarcrest to join the team, and it was clear that's what I should do. Now I decided that I would enter education to try to improve upon my grade nine education experience, which drove me away from school. So students used to like me because if ever they were in trouble, I'd battle the administration because I didn't want anyone feeling like I had in ninth grade. But then I was asked to do administration. So what do you do? I was always invited to leadership, always. So I decided I'd do my PhD work in the field of leadership in a Christian environment where there would be a blend. And so attended Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for their educational leadership. But through the totality of my life, I've had to privately deal with giants on the inside 
for me to have the freedom to actually do what I sensed God wanted me to do. Platform work. Are you scared of it? I would literally sooner have died, and there's research said this is true of some. I thought I was the only one, but I felt better when I read the research. Some people would sooner die than do public speaking. I was one of those. And yet, I've spent my life in the classroom or in church pulpits. So after finishing about 40 years at Briarcrest, 30 of which I was a vice president or a president, so it's a bit humorous that I used to press administration, now I'm sitting in those offices. It, then, uh, after that, did two years of church transition work and then had the wonderful uh, privilege of serving here at Tyndale for two years in the leadership chair. And I'm coming, they're still gracious enough to invite, uh, you know, someone as seasoned as I am back to do one module a year in the D-Men since I had a part in shaping that. But here's what my journey has taught me. When we do life in Jesus' name and do it all for his glory, it's an uncommon life. It is an uncommon life. I must tell you I don't know if I regret any of my years of service. Not a one. Or were there painful ex- Yeah, I resigned once with a 21-page letter. Probably every word in it was deserved. But one of my friends pulled it from open faculty mailboxes we had and kept it for two weeks. He, I don't know why he knew I had done it. And... Two weeks later, he put it on my desk. If you still want to submit it, he said, do. And I didn't. I talked it through. Max Lucado has written a book called The Cure for the Common Life. When I gave my life to Jesus, I determined it was all or nothing. I was going to do it for Jesus. And he's been so good, I can't believe it. It says in Ephesians 4, he brought gifts to earth and he went back up to heaven and he filled heaven with his gifts. He gave me a lot more gifts than anyone ever deserves. The gift of life, the gift of a supporting family, they had almost nothing and they helped me wherever they could. My parents started with nothing because the money that was supposed to follow from Europe never came. Still somewhere there, maybe buried, who knows. They started over with nothing. So I would say the gifts, the talents, the giants, the experiences, they have formed me in a way I couldn't have dreamt. And the way that God enabled me to live what I am and do what I am in my everyday experiences. 
The more we deliver to our strength, says Max Licato, the more we're using our gifts and our talents, the more glory goes to God if we're doing life in Jesus' name and for his glory. I sure pray and hope that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which was read for us, so thoughtfully and nicely. I thought she read that so well. Not to even slightly improve, but just to emphasize. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I was so shy, I wanted to veil my face any time I stood up. So this text just jumped out at me when I taught Corinthian letters. Like Colossians stood out for me when I used to teach the prison epistles. So don't do like Moses. He veiled his face because he didn't actually want the people of Israel to see the glory fade. Don't do that. Moses, a hero. It is not... Okay, just... This is New Covenant now. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our, one of our key roles in life is to let the beauty of Jesus emanate, because we're full of it. For me, this means, my students know this, I said it. It is said of Jesus that he came full of grace and truth. I would pray that grace and truth would flow from me. It started this way. So, I was wanting to do life for myself and I was on a journey up. I was making money, I was getting good jobs and someone says, as someone as old as you should never climb up on a stepladder, let alone publicly. And some of you are worrying. I won't go any higher. But you know the text that just jumped out at me and I cannot not illustrate this way because it's right in the Bible. It talks about Jesus when he left heaven's glory stepping down the ladder of mobility. He left heaven. He stepped down another rung and became man. He's 
the God man, he stepped down another rung, and on that rung, he was willing to join humanity, the suffering plight of it, and he stepped down another rung. And now, he's willing to die. And then he stepped down another rung and he's willing to die the death on the cross. And I'm thinking, deal with my giants compared to, let me come on down the ladder. And my biggest giants were giants of fear, unfounded but real. Planted by life experiences. I wanted to do it for the glory of God. And I think to an extent the giants are gone. So one assignment. Let the glory of Jesus flow from you you're full of him. Father, it's been special to be with these folk. We know that each one has a journey of their own. And on that journey, they have faced insurmountable giants. Some have almost taken their lives because of the weight and the burden pressed low. It's, they've just felt like they couldn't go on. For others of us, we've had lives that are simpler, but nevertheless, the giants have been big. And I pray that we would seek to overcome those barriers, those burdens, those giants, those things that seem insurmountable, so that we can freely deliver more of your glory that it will flow from us not be blocked by our own prideful limitations we commit ourselves to you in Jesus name that we might do life in Jesus name amen I think I'm to say dismiss is that the right order? Yes, absolutely. I asked at the beginning when I was to end and I forgot. I hope it's reasonable. <laughs>